Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Cavaliers. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Today, uh, joining me on the podcast as he calls in via the via phone as he's waiting uh, for the bus out in, out in sunny California, it's Trevor Magnani. Trevor, how's it going? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. So, uh, Trevor, as you, pro- as you guys know, is Cavs Twitter's resident uh, EuroLeague wonk. He is the wonk of player development. Trevor, is that a, is, are you okay with that title? What was that? Are you okay with being the D-League and EuroLeague wonk of Cavs Twitter? Oh, absolutely. Somewhat, you know, I got into Cavs Twitter when we were at our worst um, and we were debating number one picks year after year after year. And somebody needs to hold to those roots, um, you know. It feels like it feels like the draft hole has absolutely no meaning to Cavs fans anymore, and you know that that kind of makes me sad just because that's that's kind of where we where we came from a short time ago, and where eventually we will likely return at some point. Um, so you know, I'm just here holding down the fort in the meantime, um, watching watching all the Cavs uh, young, what we could call young assets. Um, which currently sit in the uh, Euro League and the D League because they are uh, without draft picks for the foreseeable future. Exactly. Um, before we get into all that stuff, Trevor, obviously J.R. Smith, the news came out Wednesday that he uh, is cleared to return to practice. He, this is one of several Cav stories that came out on Wednesday. Um, he's questionable for the Pistons game as the time of this recording. We don't know if he's going to play yet, but... Um, this is sort of about when I think maybe a little bit earlier than we expected Jared to come back. But uh, what's your reaction to the news that Jared Smith could be back in a Cavs uniform on Thursday? I think it's, I think it's great. Um, it's it's really good that he's able to get in before the playoffs started. Um, it give, it's going to give him probably about a month to kind of gear up for the uh, gear up for the playoff run, and I, that's huge. For a guy coming back from a from a thumb sprain like he had, um, because the biggest thing that that affects is going to be your handle and your shot, which, as we know, those are really the only two reasons that JR's on the floor at all. Um, so, I think that's I think that's going to be huge for him is uh, getting that shot back 
um, getting the uh, or getting his handle um, under control. I think these first couple of games are going to be really sloppy for him, um, but that but that's going to be okay. Um, you know, I, th- I think he's going to be f- kind of figuring out his stuff, um, and this is gonna, and this is going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him. But they've got plenty of time for him to gear back up. They've got other options if he's not playable right away, um, and they need him, and they need something in a big game. Um, so I'm not too worried about him um, being ready for that uh, that playoff start date. Um, now that he's got a little bit of time to gear up for this, uh, gear up for that run. Yeah, I think that's especially good as well. I think um, you because you do have to kind of figure out how he's going to fit in with Corver and Avon Jumper and all these different guys. Um, and I mean, Trevor, would you start him from from his first game back? Um, you know, I I might tr- I might be I might want to do that just because you want to kind of get into the rhythm of what you what your role you're going to give him. Um, and it's not like he's coming back from something like a like a knee or an ankle injury that would require like a minute's restriction. Um, he, it's nothing that where fatigue is really going to be a big issue. It's really just um, really just stability um, in that thumb. And if he didn't have enough stability to play um, as much as they're, the Cavs are going to want him to play, then you wouldn't be playing at all. Um, so that's, that's important to keep in mind here. Um, there's no real need to kind of build him up minutes-wise. Because he's been he's been conditioning alongside the entire time, um, even a couple, you know, like a week after surgery when he was in a cast, um, he was doing conditioning stuff. So um, I don't think that's as big as big an issue. So why not throw him back into the starting lineup, um, get him get him acclimated with the guys he's going to play with most, get Corver uh, and Shumpert and all the guys who've kind of been filling in for him in their roles that they're going to be playing some playoff time and. Uh, you know, you can revisit that and obviously tinker with that as it goes if it's becoming a big issue. But there's no reason to not jump, throw him back in um, at a high minute load right away because there's nothing, there's no real risk of re-injury from doing that. Yeah. The other, the other news that comes out is that Kyle Korver, kind of oddly enough, is not going to play Thursday due to a sore foot. Um, and Andrew Bogut is going to, it's been officially ruled out for the year, no surgery for him. Uh, but the Cavs, per ESPN's Dave McMenamin, are going to waive him. They may look to waive another player to ease some of the the financial burdens on uh, on paying Andrew Bogut one million dollars for playing fifty eight seconds and then going out and signing another player that will cost after taxes about a mil- a million dollars. I don't think the Corver news, Trevor, is too big of a deal. Um, I'm honestly surprised he hasn't sat before then, considering when he he hurt his foot about a week ago now, I believe. Um, and the Bogut thing, it's not surprising either. It's a little bit surprising to me that he's not getting surgery, but it's not at all surprising that the Cavs are going to waive him and, and look to sign someone else. And that will just, it's not like this is going to happen Thursday. Uh, per David Menemann, uh, his report is that they're going to wait until after the road trip, which wraps up Sunday in Houston, uh, and they'll waive him after that and then sign someone once once they're back home after the MAC tournament, uh, after Maction finishes taking over the queue. Yeah, and that that makes perfect sense. Um, just to just to get back to the spot where you can evaluate the guys um, that you're that you're probably going to sign at this point, I wouldn't be surprised to see them dip into that uh, that D League player pool um, and kind of kind of see if you can find a cheap alternative um, guy that immediately comes to mind as a guy who uh, the Cavs have already had at one point this season, Eric Morland mm-hmm. um, down in Canton, who's been doing awesome. Um, 
over the second half of the two-week season. Um, he's a guy that's going to be right for a call-up. He's familiar with what the Caps are going to do. Um, he's, been play- he's been playing really, really well as of late. Um, that would be the most logical option to, to bring up. But, you know, we may, we may see them go towards another route, maybe uh, looking at other D-League teams um, for, guys, for guys who would potentially make sense. Um, there's going to be guys who are sitting, um, who are coming back from guys who are coming back from China, um, guys who are kind of sitting on the late file market that may may uh, work. But yeah, I think I think that they're probably going to look to look to a Moreland or another elite player to fill that gap right away, um, similar to what they did with Jordan McRae last last season. That's an interesting take because I think most of us, including myself, would expect them to maybe go for a veteran. Um, and the way that, that what I think they're going to look at is they would sign a guy to and work something. But to me, more than make a lot of sense. I wrote about that. If you're the sword, um, I think there's a number of options out there. I hope Verizhao is not one of them. Like, I, I think that would be uh, pretty bad if they went that route. But we'll see what they do next week. Um, so, Trevor, obviously, the reason you're on the show is we're going to talk about, coincidentally, the Canton Charge. This is, the, that's obviously, if you don't know, the Cavs team. They really have, um, they have you they've had ten players to can before Tristan Thompson spent time there as a rookie. Kay Felder spent time there, Jordan McGray spent time there, Joe Harris has spent time there, even Sasha Khan, I believe, uh played in the D last year if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Trevor, I think this is a fair assumption. The the Cavs have not fully utilized the the charge in a way that a other teams have to an extent and B to the level that they might in years to come once two way contracts and expanded rosters aim to make the D-League more of, of, of a true feeder league for the NBA? Yeah, I think that they've done a really good job of using it with the guys who are already on their roster, which does give me, give me hope that they're going to be absurd, that they're going to continue to have some uh, – or they're going to continue to be able to do that um, with the two-way contracts coming up. I think that the best – Examples of guys that have gotten some benefit from the way that they've used the D-League are um, Joe Harris, as, as you said, um, Kay Felder's definitely, definitely getting um, some, hot, some positive uh, time in the D-League, and also Sergey Karasov, um, who they sent you're, back. Your guys, your guys, Sergey Karasov. Yeah, about 20 to 30 times he got uh, sent back and forth between the D-League and Stanton. Um, and, you know, that ended up actually – you know, actually helping him grow a little bit. Um, we didn't really see the benefits of it because he got traded after the season, but he was definitely a much better player in year two than he was in year one. And I think he got that from this time in, in camp and also practicing with, with the Cavs. Um, so I think, that, uh, I think that they use it well for those types of guys. What they don't really use it well is those 10 day smaller, um, which, you know, they haven't really been as um, a huge proponent of, um, especially since LeBron came back, for pretty obvious reasons. Um, but I think that he's going to continue to be able to use that. Um, and with that, the way that their roster is looking now, with, with Bogut um, spots available, I think that they're going to they're going to look to maybe go to that well again. Um, especially because the Charge have actually been one of the better teams this week this season. Yeah. Um, so there they're are four, they're, yeah, they're four, fourth in the East right now, I believe, and they've had uh, a really good performance. from I mean, guys that were with the Cavs in camp, Jonathan Holmes, Eric Moreland, Quinn Cook was with the team two years ago. 
they, they have guys that the Cavs are at least familiar with that are that are down there right now, and I think that's that's sort of interesting too because I think they may be direct guys uh, indirectly. And I think like Nick Minarath played there last year after being in camp with the Cavs uh, before he pursued other options this season. I mean, Trevor, you hit on more than already, but is there anyone else down there that you think would make sense? To bring up Quinn Cook is a guy that I I maintain is a good NBA player. He he's obviously not going to stick around in Dallas, but he he's a guy that I think can play in the NBA. Um, is there anyone else besides Moreland and Cook that you think could be a useful player on an NBA team right now? But and Felder, of course, doesn't really count in that because he's on the Cavs roster. Yeah, I think I think there's really only one other guy that makes yeah, that makes sense to be a uh, to be a player that they look at. Um, and that's going to be Jonathan Holmes, um, who they brought in for training camp. Um, he spent a little bit of time abroad playing with Barcelona uh, through the end of the fall and the early part of the winter. Um, but he, he came back, and he, he's a guy that I could see them potentially making making a run at, uh, just because he's yet another guy who's about six eight nine. He can uh, he can spend a little bit um, developing an outside shot. Um, pretty good, pretty good slasher. Does all the things that like a Richard Jefferson would do. Um, they're looking down the stretch to get guys like Ron and RJ some significant time off. Holmes might be a candidate as, on a 10-day to just come up, um, get a few games of uh, of run um, before the cast head into the postseason. Yeah, I, I think Moreland would be better just because I think he's a better rebounder. He's he's a decent. He's been a decent rim protector. Um, he's not a good shooter, but I, I subscribe to the Derek Williams theory that anyone who has actually played recently has a chance of making more of an impact just because they've actually played competitive basketball. There's a there's a huge difference, and we know this. It's not universally true because nothing is really universally true except you know like that the earth the earth is round. But um, you you have guys that have actually played and played in games tend to look a little bit fresher. There's no rust on them. A guy like Larry Sanders, who I know a lot of you out there, are, Cavs fans listening to this podcast, are excited for. That's a guy who hasn't played in the NBA in two years. Um, and, you know, all the reports coming out of his workouts that he wasn't in particularly good shape with those workouts in addition to there being a felony charge in Los Angeles. So uh, I, I think a guy like more than what makes some sense. I, I wonder if the Cavs trust him, though. And I wonder if they think they would need someone that can play right now. Because I think that, but I think if the purpose of Andrew Bogut, to an extent at least, was to give Tristan Thompson rest, I think Moreland can do that over the course of over the final regular season games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're past the point where you're going to pick up guys who are going to help in the playoffs at all. Um, the the buyout deadline where. Uh, teams can sign guys from other rosters um, and free agents that can help. They can actually play in the uh, playoffs pass. Um, so you're really not going to get any uh, any guys that are going to be of any help in the playoffs. You're looking for young, spry guys who can give minutes um, for, a few, for a few games while you're getting some of your major players rest down the stretch, um, presumably after the Cavs have already uh, have already locked up kind of where they're going to be in the playoffs. Um, so I think that Moreland fits that to a T. He's a really good high-energy guy. Um, it's worth stating that he's finally healthy. And, um, you know, he's one of the, he's one of those guys where, you know, everybody that's in the D-League is in the D-League for a variety of different reasons. Well, he's one of those guys who just ran into a string of injuries and never really got um, what we would call a fair shot at an NBA roster spot. Um, 
and now this is his first real sustained stretch of healthy play since he was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think that's a major that's a major thing to point out here is Moreland isn't just some other D guy. He's a guy who has been on NBA rosters in training camp year after year after year despite these injuries because he has a decent amount of talent. He just hasn't gotten to show it yet. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair, and I th- I think him he's 25 years old. That that's I, th- I believe um, that that's right around the time you know he could at least be so sort of like again like Derek Williams. Um, he might not be as energetic as Derek Williams. He might not do as many fun things like dunking like Derek Williams. But I think he could be useful. Um, but I think the main guy right now that's sort of interesting is Kay Felder. Um, he's been in Canton a lot recently. It was the D League Performer of the Week for last week. Uh, on Wednesday against the Windy City Bulls, he had another game above 20 points, another good assist game. Also was under two, had two turnovers in that game after averaging over five previously in the D League, so he did a much better job of keeping control of the ball. Um, I know, Trevor, from what you've seen, um, do you like what you've seen of Kay Felder and Canton? Yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, the guy's averaging 30.6 points per game. Um, and I think that I think that number's actually up um, because when I looked at it a little bit earlier, that didn't factor in the Windy, the Windy City game. Um, so he's he's averaging over 30 points a game in his, in his D-week career so far, um, shooting over 40% from three. Um, I think I think I saw he's averaging like seven seven assists per game, um, almost two steals per game. Um, so you know he's put up the numbers that we would expect a guy like Felder um, to put up and. I think that that's the big takeaway from his D League stint is like it's much like summer league where we kind of saw okay Felder looks pretty good he's, his shots weren't falling but he looked like he was a little bit too good to be there um, and that's kind of the same thing with the D League like he's able to instantly come in with zero chemistry with any of these other guys and just put up these numbers that are bare, that are in on par with guys like Quinn Cook, um, with uh, with guys like Jonathan Holland, who have been the the Charges best players this, this season. Um, I, th- I think that that that's the biggest takeaway for me is that even though he hasn't really been able to show a ton this year at the NBA level, and he isn't shooting well at the NBA level, Felder's good enough to be there and I think I think that that is a good thing moving forward because as he gets more comfortable as a shooter and as he gets gets more uh gets stronger um and gets more time understanding the offenses at the NBA level um that shot's going to come and that I think is really the only thing separating him which is playing time other than the fact that he's a young guy on a veteran team trying to win a title yeah, I think I think that's a good assessment. I think it's like too. It's like worth noting that Quinn Cook um, has been one of the best players in the D League really over the last two years. I mean, his D League Rookie of the Year was an All Star in the All Star Game MVP this year. And when you watch the Charge play, when it's just been him, he's doing the creating and he's doing the initiating the offense. And he's leading the team like ninety percent of the time. Like he has an absurd workload in Canton. And Felder is sort of, I think he's part of the reason he's able to succeed right there and just slip right in is because he's able to just kind of do a lot of things on his own. Like, he's not asked to run very complex sets. He's not asked to 
initiate sets like a in a pure point guard sense. He's out there. He can just go out there and shoot. He can go out there and create on it for his own. Ken does get up and down the floor at times. I do a good job, I would think, of initiating fast breaks, and Felder's done a pretty good job of that as well um, when he's been down there. I, I think he benefits from just being able to go and play. Um, I, I think more than anything, it's and I think that helps him. But the, I think the question is this. He's not going down there, and he's not – what he does in Canton is a much larger role in terms of usage, in terms of minutes played, in terms of points and shot attempts than he's going to get in Cleveland. So I think to succeed in the NBA, he needs to be able to finish at the rim, absolutely. Um, he needs to make the right reads. He needs to be able to do a lot of the things he's doing well in Canton. But at the same time, I think he also needs to be able to shoot off ball, and he's going to have to be able to defend um, – I, 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 is there anything to, to the idea, Trevor, that he might have – some of the stuff he's doing in Canton, it's going to be hard for him to translate that directly to what he would need to do, let's say, next year if Darren Williams isn't back with the Cavaliers and he is given a chance to be the backup point guard on the team. Um, I, do, I do think one thing that kind of kind of limits that that, um, that you're talking about is Canton has been running a lot of Elder and Mets red pick and roll yes, that he's yes. so comfortable in in Oakland. And that's just not what the Cavs are going to do. They're not going to line him up 35 feet from the basket and allow him to just take a guy off the dribble. Um, one NBA defenses are too smart to account uh, to be able to account for that. And two, the, that's just not going to be functional with um, kind of what his roles with the Cavs. So that's one thing that I think um, makes it a little bit less translatable. I'm not as worried about the um, the ability to finish. Um, I actually think that getting down at that level is good for him to be able to work on a I agree. Game. I agree with that. Um, because, because the big thing, and I've thought this ever since um, Kyrie was, I think, back in, like, 2012, 2013, and kind of watching Kyrie develop, I mean, this is kind of one of my core scouting tenants when it comes to young point guards, it doesn't matter if you can't finish once you get to the rim when you're young. It matters if you can get there at all. And Kay can get there. He can get there at the NBA level. Um, he just hasn't really been able to finish yet because he doesn't have that strength. He, that strength is going to come as his body matures. And I think getting the ability to work on some of the uh, some of the finesse moves and some of the power moves that a guy like Kyrie Irving has to compensate for not being like a Russell Westbrook type um, in, ter- in terms of strength, um, he's going to be able to work work on those against guys with length and with less athleticism in the D League, um, and that's going to that's going to be huge for him. And I think that's going to be what's going to be directly translatable. Um, so in that regard, I think that his ability to get uh, to finish once he gets at the rim um, is what he's really working on at this point, um, as well as being able to, cr- you know, create shape, create separation, um, and things that he struggled with at the NBA level. He's really good at at the D League level. Um, I, I think that those are things that he's going to continue to be able to work on and get better at, and that's going to translate um, down the line to uh, being able to work better at once his body matures. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, I think the spread pick and roll point, I think, is really true because he's just, they're never going to do that with him in Cleveland. Like, if he's going to be playing as the backup point guard, he's, I mean, he's probably playing with LeBron James. Um, <laughs> it's hard to see the Cavs being, like, willing to do spread pick and rolls where he's all, LeBron James is off ball and Kay Felder's the one running the show. You know, like, I could see them maybe doing it, like, once or twice where LeBron's the screener or... 
um, LeBron's cutting and stuff like that, but I just don't know how much they would actually that, – that would be a very big alteration in what they do in general. You know, like that's not something the, – the Cavs aren't a team that like loves to get out there and spread it out. If they run a pick and roll, it's a bit tighter than you would see like Golden State do or you would see Houston in particular do. They, they just don't run those type of sets. Yeah, I think I think that's where um, kind of what his development has been in the NBA um, comes in is what I've noticed that they like to run with K is they like to try those kind of one one three one four dribble handoffs with like him or uh, him and LeBron or him and Kevin Love and then he goes to the he goes to the corner they swing a couple passes they give it back to K and then they work on having him as a corner three shooter I think I think that's kind of where um, where that actually can turn and get to the rim, you just dump it off to one of those guys. You run, you run to the corner, um, and then they run a secondary action with um, with either Love or LeBron as the primary initiate, um, and then kind of work the ball back to him that way. Um, because that's the one thing that I think he's developed the most at, at the NBA level this year is he looks much more comfortable um, shooting that corner three than he did in November and December. Um, and I think I think that that's um, that's going to be a part of his role moving forward. Um, so it's good to see that they're working on kind of developing a place for him um, in that regard. Yeah, Kenton has, I believe, nine games left this season before they start their playoffs. Uh, Quinn Cook, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is going to be back in Canton uh, because Dallas didn't pick up a second 10-day deal from him. It's possible, of course, that a team like the Pelicans could sign him in and that dual point guard situation uh, could go away pretty quickly again. But, Trevor, would you have Felder play every remaining game with the charge before joining the Cavs? Because I, I do – This is, and I'll just say this as, before you answer – I, what I would do is I would have him play in Canton every game the rest of the year, regardless if the Cavs have a game. I did, like they did it when they went on that uh, road trip last weekend. I would just have him play in Canton, just get him those nine games. Then your playoffs, or then the Cavs' playoffs start. And I think you you certainly want K to play when he can, but you also want him around LeBron James, around Kyrie Irving, around James Jones, like around Kevin Love, around Tyron Lue around guys who have been through the, the playoffs before, and if he's not going to play in the playoffs, I think there's a ton of value in having him there on a day-to-day basis as the team grinds towards another title and works towards getting to the finals again. I, I think that's more going to be more useful to him than, I think, playing D-League, in the D-League playoffs. Um, I, I think that'd be the way to go. How, what do you think? Yeah, I think if the Cavs were working with, like, two balls or the Los Angeles defenders, um, it'd be another story, but like you said earlier, they're they're what the four seed, right in their conference. Yeah, they they are, uh, I believe, number four in the D League, and they're they're it's and they they could I believe Raptors nine oh five have been far and away the best team um, in the D League mm-hmm. this year, and Canton is kind of in a big playoff battle with a number of other teams uh, in the D League yeah. in the East. It's a it's a very tight race in there. Yeah, so you know they're they're not like a top tier team, so. Really, there's no real. I mean, he's not going to like get the experience of like to chase and win a title as like a rotation player. Um, that would be the one thing that would be like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe he should stick to Canton for that. But no, down down the stretch, they're going to be wanting to get Kyrie Irving. They're going to want to. Um, they're going to want to get him get him time um, when they give the big big three um, time off. Um, they're, they're going to want him playing the same role that Joel, Jordan McCray did down the stretch last year. 
um, in, ter in terms of being um, one of the primary ball handlers um, for those all bench uh, games. So I, I think that I think that the value for the Cavs um, just having having him there and having them able to get the guys rest is going to be way more important than any any valuable lesson that Felder's going to get out of the out of the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think also by the and I was wrong. I checked it real quick. I didn't mean to have a. A fake news thing on this podcast, but uh, he the, the Chargers are currently second in the in the East. They're seven and a half okay. games back of Raptors nine oh five. Which tells okay. you, which, well, yeah, they're not catching up. Yeah, which which which, which tells you how good Raptors nine oh five is. Like they're very hmm. good. Jerry Stackhouse uh, is the coach of that team. Uh, main the main Red Claws are third, and the four way Mad Ants are fourth. Uh, and they just signed Tyler Hansborough, which is fascinating. But. Um, Delaware eighty seven are in as well at eight and a half back and yada yada. But I think I think you can kind of blend these two things, right? Like you, if if there's some planning there, if you know, okay, let's say that the Cavs have a back to back and they want to give Kyrie Irving a night off and the Charge happen to have a game the same. I'm not looking at the schedules to match these things up, but you could get K Felder probably five more games um, in in the D League, and then you could have him being being Cleveland with the team when. They need to play hit when they need, when Kyrie's going to get an off. So you're not playing Darren Williams 40 minutes, and we don't need to see DeAndre Liggins um, playing point guard. But I think like if let's say like on Saturday they're playing the Orlando Magic on the road, uh, but I, it's not a back to back. So I, I would expect LeBron and Kyrie are going to play in that game. The Charge also have a game that day. They play the Austin Spurs that afternoon in Canton. I, I think in that situation, I think Felder probably gets more out of playing as opposed to just sitting on a bench when he, he at, the, at the very at the very at the most he will play in that game barring injury would be garbage time minutes yeah agreed i think i think that i think that that's reasonable for kind of final um final regular season games um but yeah once the d week playoffs start he should he should be in cleveland full time yeah 100 percent um, so the other things we're going to talk about, Trevor, is that you're looking ahead to next year. The the new CBA changes the D League. It doesn't, um, you know, change what the league is or anything like that. But the Cavs, as a team with a D League affiliate, can really utilize it in a new way. There's going to be two way contracts. I believe two two way contract spots, which means you can have a guy. You'll I believe it's pay him at the D League level when he's down there, but you can also bring him back up and pay him at the NBA level when he's with the Cavs, um, and then. You also have expanded rosters, so you can just have two guys that are dedicated to a players that you can develop in Canton. Um, how, how would you like to see the Cavs, a team that doesn't have a lot of draft picks, that doesn't have a lot of talent in the pipeline, really uh, utilize those two rosters? Like, what do you think is the ideal way to use those? Um, I, I think it's going to be what they're what they're going to end up doing is the most logical, um, the most logical thing, barring any sort of trade or anything. They should use it on the guys. Um, with a few with a few draft picks that they have, so give one spot to K, give one spot to Seti Osman, and we're done here. I, th I think that that's that's a pretty reasonable way to do it. And you know, if uh, if they have some issues with getting Osman to agree with one of those contracts, or that Felder really wows um, moving forward, then you can you can experiment with you know dedicating one. Dewey guy that they're able to able to find, um, or one one extra camp guy that looks pretty impressive. I know that a guy like uh, 
a guy like Moreland um, or a guy like Markel Brown would have been would have been an option for something like that. Um, no, I, I think initially Felder and Osmander, who logically should take those spots. So, so tell me, I might be misunderstanding the CBA a little bit, then I guess, but yeah, Felder has a pre-existing contract with the team, so I think would they have to revise that contract to be a two-way contract? Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. So I think, um, yeah. So I think he, I think he's the, exempt from. I think he's like exempt from that. I think he's sort of locked in on what what they have him on. Okay, so yeah, they they could potentially buy a second rounder, maybe, um, or you know somebody that they identify in summer league, um, who who looks um, looks like a keeper or in training camp. Um, they could they could throw on throw on that. Um, but yeah, I th- I think that regardless. Um, that's that's kind of the way they should take it. I mean, it's the, these types of teams like the Cavs are who this is going to benefit most. Mm-hmm. Um, teams don't have a ton of available roster spots for young guys, but have their own D-League team. Um, so teams like the Cavs, teams like the Raptors, the Spurs, the Warriors, um, those are the teams who are going to get the most benefit out of this. Yeah, 100% agree. And like a team like the Celtics can continue just to have like way too many players mm-hmm. <laughs> and just keep stashing them because Danny H. Um, and Trevor, you mentioned him already. We're, this is the last thing we're going to talk about. And of course, because you're here, we're going to talk about Chetty. We're going to talk about Osman. Um, yeah. First off, how is... How has he been in Europe this year? Um, he's, so we haven't talked in a, quite a while, but, um, since the last time I was on the podcast, um, he's regressed a little bit, um, in terms of his shooting. Um, he had a half the season where he was up around 50% or so from the three, which was awesome. Um, that's, that's really high level. Um, even for Euroleague with the shorter line, um, and it looked, it looked like that was, that was kind of, you know, if that was sustainable, you know, he was going to be kind of plug and play um, when it came to being a spot-up shooter next year. He's regressed a little bit, um, hasn't been shooting terribly, um, but he's down around like 41, 42% um, this season. Um, and that's co- that's corresponded with um, a little bit of a reduction in playing time. But the other side of that is it's also coincided with his team and it's Lepis. Um, having a really, really successful run um, through the back half of their Euroleague schedule. They're actually in position um, to get the eighth seed um, in the Euroleague playoffs, which would put them up against uh, up against Real Madrid um, if, if the playoffs started today. So um, they have been playing really well as a team. And Osman's been doing a pretty good job um, of contributing, even though he isn't really getting the touches that he was getting in the first half of the season. Um, he's not really getting those three-point shots at all, but he's been much more active on the defensive end. Um, he's been playing better within a team construct um, on the on the defensive end. His, I believe his assist numbers are up. Um, if you compare the second half of the season to the first, um, and over overall, he, it seems like he's it seems like he's benefiting a little bit from um, the point guard upgrades that their team has made. Um, he's got he's got some backcourt help. He's no longer being asked to defend um, defend ones and twos 
Um, he's pretty much exclusively defending small forwards with the occasional shooting part um, at the at the Euroleague level. Um, and at the domestic level, he's playing he's playing a little bit more of a role um, as well, as well. That's been pretty that's been pretty consistent. Um, so you know he's he's progressed a little bit. I have a little bit more of a reservation about his ability to kind of step in and um, be a impactful player for the Cavs next season. Um, I still kind of stick to my idea that for the Cavs he's probably not a uh, he's probably not a rotation player next year, but for team like say the Nets or say the Magic, um, a team at like the lower end of the NBA spectrum, he could be a guy who's going to get minutes next year. Yeah, I think that's that that's right um, I, Okay, so but the Cavs haven't traded him. They didn't trade him at the deadline. He wasn't a sweetener in any deal. Uh, he could get traded that you know between now and next season. I think that's certainly on the table. If let's say he does come over next year, and let's say he does end up in Cleveland. What kind of deal do you think he would sort of look for? Because he's a because he's not a first round pick. It was not a first round pick from the 2015 draft. He would not be a rookie scale guy. Um, so that he can negotiate for basic, I believe, whatever he wants, if I'm not mistaken. So what do you think he's sort of worth for for a team like the Cavs? Is it a minimum deal? Like, what is it? Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more than a minimum deal um, because he's making a little bit more than a minimum deal right now. Um, so I think that he, he's probably going to be somebody who you're looking to sign in maybe like a four-year, like $20 million range. Um, at the at the minimal, um, I think he's I think he's going to want that. Um, he's not, and I believe he's not with the same agent as Dario Saric. Um, so you, so you don't have to worry about kind of some of the weirdness that came along with um, the Dario's negotiations with the Sixers. Um, but I think I think that he's going to want a little bit more than um, I think he's going to want a little bit more than the minimum. Um, probably somewhere around like the three or five million dollar a year range um especially cap with the cap expanding um so i think i think that that's that's pretty reasonable the cap should be able to give that to him um without without too much issue um so uh that would kind of be where i would expect as of right now yeah i mean i think that sounds about fair um one two things to kind of get you out of here one, what if he was a second round pick in the 2015 draft? But where would he? And this is a deep upcoming draft. But is he a mid first round like talent? Is he late first round? Is he second round? What is he in that sense? And two, is he worth that money to the Cavs? And let's say he's making four million a year for three years. Is that something? Is that do you think that's a smart investment on the Cavs' part? Um. So to answer the second, the second part first. Um, I definitely think that it's a worthy investment for him. Um, even if he's not helping very much in 2017-2018, you're paying him that level for him to be a rotation player in 2000. You're looking for him to be a rotation player in like 2019-2020. Um, and I think that he... I think that he can get definitely get there. Um, so you know, if you're if you're paying that level for him to come out um, this year, um, and you're getting a rotation player like that in 2020, that's a steal for you. Um, 
So I definitely, I definitely think that that's a, that that's, um, a, that's a good deal um, and a worthy investment for the Cavs. I do think that if he came out this year, um, he would probably go around like the late first round. Um, one, because I think that his value has increased because of his development as a three-point shooter. And uh, two, because I don't really think this draft is as deep as the draft that he was uh, picked in in 2015. Um, so I, I definitely think that in a, in a draft with so, with so many bigs and less wing-type players than there were in the draft that he went in, um, he would definitely be a guy that is in play for, like, um, say maybe a team, maybe a team like the the Bulls or a team like the Jazz, um, who's picking in like who potentially is going to pick in like the early twenties. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the level of player I would I would expect. Um, and you know I think in terms of raw talent, I would probably have him around the level of some of the lottery guys in this draft. But you know it's easy Euro here's a European player there's going to be a little bit of that uh, a little bit of that apprehension towards bringing a guy like him over like there always is um they always kind of get a little bit of a knock because of that so I would have put him at about um the the early 20s in in this draft probably around the level of like uh um Anzis Pisechnik's um or another international player um who should probably go around that range yeah I think that's um, I think that's pretty. That sounds pretty good for it. I think I, I agree with you. I think the Cavs should sign a guy like him. I think it makes sense. I think even if you can't get him on a on a D League deal, I do think there is certainly value to getting a guy that you can still send down that you can develop over time. And and if you hit right, he could be a Richard Jefferson replacement in a year or two. I think um, that's the type of thing you want to do. And I'm a I'm a fan of trying to develop guys like that. And I think if I, again I've said this on the show before. Um, people get annoyed, I think, sometimes by this, but I truly think if you're going to critique the Cavs for one thing over the past couple of years, and it's and it's something that I, I I probably do the same thing they did, to be honest, I do think they haven't really developed young talent um, in a way that's functional because you do sort of back yourself into the old guy hole at a certain point, and a guy like Chetty is a guy that you can um, potentially use to get out of that hole at least at one position. I think um, that has that certainly to me has some value. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think that the one thing to the one thing to take note with that um, that kind of line of thinking um, is you're you're definitely right that they haven't done a great job of kind of making this massive development um, uh, plan that you know a team a team like the Spurs who's been around forever um, is is able to do, but at the same time, it only takes one James Michael McAdoo or Ian Clark or, um, you know, or a, a Justin Anderson um, for, uh, for a team that isn't good at that to suddenly have a young player of value. It only exactly. takes one guy. Yeah, exactly. And you only they, really they, need, they need that guy, maybe pays that guy. Yeah, 100% agree. And if they get both those guys that work out, I mean, that would be a pretty big deal. If you get your uh, backup point guard for the next, you know, six years and a uh, and a guy who could be a rotation wing for for the next five years and into your next in your next franchise setup, I think that's a pretty good job of identifying young talent, and you can keep doing it too because of the expanded roster spots um, and stuff like that. Trevor, man, thank you. For, uh, great stuff as always. Hope the uh, bus trip. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. 
For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. That wraps up well, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks.